Hello, and welcome to This Speech Life, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a pediatric SLP with 10 years experience in the school setting. Each week, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of that episode topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode of This Speech Life. I am so excited to have Dr. Angelica Gunn here with us today to talk about all things executive functioning. But before we begin, I am just going to read our financial and non-financial disclosures. I am Caitlin Lopez, the host of the podcast, This Speech Life, and I do receive compensation for this episode from speechtherapypd.com. I have no relevant non-financial relationships to report. Dr. Angelica Gunn receives an honorarium for appearing on this episode of This Speech Life from speechtherapypd.com. She has no relevant non-financial relationships to report. Okay, now that we have those things out of the way, I am so excited to introduce to all of you Dr. Gunn. She's been a practicing speech language pathologist for 13 years. Angelica received her bachelor's degree in psychology from Spelman College and then her master's degree in speech language pathology from the University of West Georgia. In 2019, she received her doctorate in speech language pathology from Northwestern University. Her culminating project was Interventions for Executive Functions, ages 3 through 22, a systematic review. Angelica has practiced in a variety of settings, including private practice, hospitals, home environment, post-acute care, and community re-entry. She has experience assessing and treating adolescents, adults, and geriatrics with a variety of communication disorders, including, but not limited to, aphasia, executive functioning, receptive and expressive language, dysarthria, cognitive communication, dysphagia, and brain injury. She currently specializes in treating pediatric and adult clients with executive functioning weaknesses and disorders. Wow, that is a lot. 13 years is not a long time to be practicing in the field, but I feel like you have a lifetime worth of experience. So I'm really excited that you've agreed to be with us today to share some of that. Thank you for having me, Caitlin. Thank you for being here. All right. So Dr. Gunn, what are three things that we need to know about executive functioning? Right. So I'll talk about three things, but let me just back up a little bit and just give everyone just an overview executive function skills, because executive function skills seems to be like a buzz phrase right now. It wasn't like that even five years ago, even 10 years ago. So executive function skills, depending on what you Google or what research article you look at, you'll get varying definitions. Um, So there's no universal definition for executive function skills. However, executive function skills are a set of cognitive skills that include memory, flexible thinking, and self-control. But it also includes things like management, planning, organization, and attention. So in general, these are skills that we use every day to learn, manage daily life. In short, they're just everyday life skills. 
So if we think about executive function skills, I would say it's the management system of the brain. That's because the skills involve let us set goals, plan, pretty much get things done. So when people have issues or they struggle with executive function skills, it can impact them at home, in school, and just in life. So, you know, when we think about three things about executive function skills, one of the things that I like to say, I typically work with middle school, high school, and young adult. But however, executive function skills can be addressed at any age. And it's not just middle school, which is where a lot of times I get referrals um, is because that's when students really start to struggle is in middle school because the demands are more. So I like to say that therapists can work with executive function skills at the age, you know, ladies and toddlers can work on executive function skills. One of the other things that I do notice a lot in the classroom is a lot of teachers think executive function skills means just providing a planner or an agenda to the student. And that does not encompass all executive function skills or fix executive function challenges. The second thing that I was saying is providing a planner or agenda to a student does not encompass all executive function skills, and it doesn't just fix those challenges. I like to say it's a good start, but we really can't just expect to throw a planner at a student and say, oh, well, all your executive function skills are fixed. Like I said, it's a good start, but another concept there is that every planner does not work for every student. And I actually get a lot of parents that have said, I bought my student a planner every year and they never use it. It's blank. We go pick one out and we get pretty designs and colors and they never use it. And then when I talk to the student, well, it's because they don't know how to use it. Or even when it's given in a classroom, some schools are great at providing them, but don't actually provide the education on how to actually use a planner. And then we're thinking about what other deficits are there. There are a lot of skills that we need to use a planner. And the other thing that I just wanted to say about executive function skills, the third thing would be executive function skills are not concrete. Just like language, it develops and grows as the child ages. But it's also not something that a child is just going to grow out of. It is something that we will have to address. So it's not going to be, oh, well, they'll just, it will just come to them. Because if they're having deficits in, you know, time management and we're not addressing it, then those deficits in time management just become greater. The same thing with organization skills, planning, self-control. If we're just ignoring it and hoping that they're just going to grow out of it, it does become problematic um, within school and even into adulthood. You know, we're all speech therapists and you probably have coworkers that have difficulties in executive function skills. So I think it's, it's something that we should definitely be addressing in the school system. But I also know that there are definite challenges and difficulties in doing that. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for providing us that understanding Joni is asking, could you please repeat number one? Of course. Um, So the first thing that I said was executive function skills can be addressed at any age. It doesn't have to be just in middle school. Um, Also, it's not too late to start addressing them in high school. So executive function skills can be um, addressed as a baby, as a toddler. And there's various ways that we can do that. 
um, as, as we're working with students. Um, I typically work with middle school to high school and college age. I work in a practice where there's other um, therapists that do work on executive function skills. And those therapists just really like to work with elementary and babies. So <laughs> I, I kind of let them work with that area. But, you know, I work with middle school and high school. Awesome. Thank you for that. And I really appreciated at the very top of it, you shared that there's no universal definition of executive functioning, which I think is, which leads itself to your last point that it's not concrete. You know, it's not like a speech sound disorder where it's do this and you'll get this result, you know, or this is the therapy technique that you use for this particular error or whatever. And I really appreciated that, that there's no universal definition, which is like, like you said, like language, it can be really open-ended and, but that is also what makes it kind of fun. I feel like to, to address and get creative, which I really loved how you said, you know, a planner is a great start, but there's so much more than just giving them the tool. We have to teach them how to use the tool. I, um, I really enjoyed that how you brought that point in, you know, I think executive functioning, I remember learning about it in grad school for only one particular population, traumatic brain injury. And we, the more students, you know, it is a buzzword now. And I did look into it and okay, what do I need to know about this? Because the more students I see, the more I see it's really impacting them in the classroom with just the skills that you talked about, about their time management, about their planning, their organization, their uh, self-control, flexibility. Just today, I worked with a little girl who's not on the spectrum. You know, it's not, she's not necessarily, she's not neurodiverse in that sense. And we couldn't find a piece to a game. And it was a really big challenge for her to work through that. So yeah, I'm really really grateful that there is a lot more information out there about working on executive functioning at every age. So thank you for bringing up that point. Yeah, sure. And and just to piggyback off of that on the no universal definition, um, when I was working on my culminating project, I had two other clinicians that were working with me um, and we reviewed maybe 70 research articles and the, the vast variety of what people were testing um, and assessing of what executive function skills were, were so vast that our results, one of the big results that we came with was that there was no universal definition. So someone did a study, they would track planning and organization and say it's an executive function study, but then someone else would only be tracking um, inhibition and self-monitoring. So it's really hard to come up with really best interventions for executive function skills because everyone was looking at executive function skills in a different way. Awesome. And, you know, I think that that makes sense with the other point that you brought up about how executive function skills grow as the, as we grow, you know, what is expected of us, maybe as a first or second grader, the demands are going to be greater for us to be able to plan a little better or to have better inhibitory skills or whatever it may be. And that's something that I found, which at first, it makes sense with what you're saying, as far as it's not concrete, 
where I really wanted something or someone to tell me, yes, at second grade, this is what we expect. Here are ways to work on it. And it was not that clear. Um, so I love that point that you made. Yeah. And I think as, um, as executive function skills are becoming more noticeable and a lot more people are talking about it, there are more people that are doing more research on executive function skills. And there are more people that are specializing in executive function skills. I do feel like as the time goes on, we can definitely come together or per se, to really say like, these are the things that we should be looking at at this age, or these are the things that we should look at this age. You know, as speech language pathologists, we do know that, you know, a first grader isn't going to be able to self-monitor their emotions and behaviors as a middle schooler, but we don't really have a great chart, <laughs> you know, that that shows us that we, everyone kind of does their, their evidence-based um, practices to kind of help them guide their treatment. And, you know, a couple of years ago, you're kind of just kind of going in the dark, <laughs> trying to figure it out. But the more that it's becoming known, um, a lot of school systems are really recognizing that there are a lot of students that are having executive function challenges that don't have a diagnosis. Um, a lot of the students that I work with, they do have an ADD, ADHD, um, or anxiety diagnosis. But I do get students that come to me with no diagnosis and the parents um, are saying they talk to the school about it and, you know, academically they're doing fine. But it's because the parents are doing a lot at home to assist them um, and they know that something is going on. Um, so I do I do consult with other speech therapists in the school system to make sure that my plan of care and what they're doing in the school is also helping or even just helping give the speech therapists in the school system my ideas and my thoughts, because a lot of times, like I said, they don't have a diagnosis. So I do refer to them to get tested. Um, and then even then, you know, for us, they'll have a 504, but not necessarily at BG. Awesome, thank you for that. So as we've talked about things that we need to know for executive functioning, what are some resources you can offer us either to use in therapy or to help us learn more about executive functioning? Um, so one of the things that I usually love and try to make sure that the student that I'm working with is an assessment called the brief. It's the behavior rating inventory for executive function. Um, there's two versions, one for preschool and one for school age. Um, so I do think that it is beneficial for therapists in the school system to see if this is something that could be added to your battery, because you could be getting a referral for a student that you go through your battery of testing and you might not see a lot or, you know, they're right on the cusp. But then doing the brief inventory, then you can see, oh, okay, well, they are really struggling in this area. And this could be why the teacher is saying, you know, X, Y, Z is going on. Um, so I do usually try to give that as a part of my assessment tool if someone is coming to me without a diagnosis. Or I make sure that I get a copy of it because usually they will come from psychoeducational testing. And a lot of the therapists that I work with there, they usually always get the brief. So I do say I feel like that's a very valuable tool. Um, it's an inventory. So the parents get one and the teacher gets one to fill out. And then at a certain age, um, there's an adult one, too, where um, the person can self-rate themselves. Wow. I really do like that assessment tool adding on to whatever assessments you're already getting. 
Fantastic. I didn't even know the brief existed. So thank you for that. Because the child that I was working with earlier today, you know, she is a student that I'm thinking, okay, she's, it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly where her issues are. And she's made so much progress. And I was talking to mom about dismissal and mom was like, no, you know, most parents, uh, Mm -hmm. they like to put on the brakes when you talk about an exciting thing like dismissal, but that might be a really valuable assessment for her to really figure out where, where her strengths and her deficits lie when it comes to executive functioning. Right. And I think also it's a valuable tool too, because it can assist in the classroom you know, with your battery of testing and you know that someone is struggling with, you know, maybe the auditory comprehension and you also have given them the brief and you know that maybe the inhibition or the self-monitoring or something there is there a weakness and you know that they have a strength in auditory comprehension, then you can give that information to the classroom teacher as well to, to help come to help come up with a good plan of care for the classroom as well. I love that of bringing, of extending our care in terms of, it's not just up to us to work on executive functioning, but collaborating with classroom teachers uh, and parents at home. I think that that is something that I definitely, um, you know, especially something that it's newer that I'm looking at and newer that I'm starting to think, okay, how do we, how do we target this uh, that I don't often think about collaboration with that piece? And I think that that is going to be most powerful for students. So thank you for bringing that up is using that as a piece for collaboration. Yeah, I think it, exactly with executive function skills, we have to collaborate because one, it's such a, a, wide, a wide variety of skills. Um, and like I said, it's daily life skills. So when there's a deficit in one of those areas, it can it can impact a lot of areas of a student's academic career, you know, at home and within the classroom. So bringing anyone in that we can to help, um, especially the parents, is really going to be beneficial for the student and for us as um, providers and providing therapy for our students. Did you know that SpeechTherapyPD.com has weekly live and interactive webinars? We are the fastest growing CE provider. Subscribe today to get access to over 750 different courses in audio or video format. Awesome. So we have the brief. What is another resource that you recommend for us? Because I feel like executive function skills are, are becoming more known, I do recommend that if it's something that another therapist is thinking that they want to either specialize in or just get more information, um, would to do some additional training. There are a lot of great therapists out there. Sarah Ward is really awesome. She has a great website. She's done a lot of talks. Um, She's gone to ASHA a couple of years and, and did talks about executive function skills. Um, She has a lot of tools on her website. I can't think of it right now, (laughs) but she has a lot of tools and free tools as well. I actually just went to the site and downloaded um, a time management time estimation that I'm going to start with my students. Um, So I'm always learning things that are new. Peg Dawson, she is kind of like the guru (laughs) of executive function skills, and she's one of the very first people that really did a lot of great research um, on executive function skills. And I I also did an executive function training when I was really getting into executive function skills with her 
that really helped um, guide a lot of my treatment with students. Um, so I think finding a couple of trainings out there just so that you can know how to incorporate it into therapy, what you're already doing, because you don't have to do anything significantly different if you already have students on your caseload and you're thinking like, wow, I think they might have some weaknesses in this area. Doing those trainings can help you incorporate what you've learned into what you're already doing. So you're not really recreating the wheel. So those two resources. And then there's just a couple of different websites. There's um, uh, understood.com. There's a lot of information about ADD, ADHD. They give a lot of information about executive function skills there too. Awesome. Thank you. And I think that that is really reassuring to those of us that are just starting to get our feet wet with executive functioning of you don't have to do a whole new thing. You can just target this with what you're already doing. I think that's really helpful. I know that um, earlier on a couple months ago, I had Angie Neal talk about uh, working on phonological awareness skills. And she said, you don't have to go looking for these students. They're already on your caseload. Um, and I feel like that's the same thing with executive functioning. It's not like we're all of a sudden going to be adding more students to our caseload. We're just going to be providing more strategies for our students. And, and I really like the way you said it, you know, take these trainings, learn more about it, and then start implementing, you know, and, and adding to and enriching with what we're already doing. So thank you for that. Raquel Pfeiffer has a question. Are SLPs the primary provider to address executive function or is it collaborative or is it OT? Does it depend on the area that is the struggle? No. So um, when you think about executive function skills in my area of kind of private practice um, and collaborating with schools, um, they call it executive function coaching. So there are a lot of people that can become executive function skills coaches. Um, I do feel that speech therapists are great to provide this service because we have the knowledge of language and communication and cognition that goes along with executive function skills. However, occupational therapists can provide um, executive function skills trainings and also psychologists. Um, Those are the big two that I do know of, but Um, I do know a couple of counselors that have learned about executive function skills and they provide those services. A lot of times the counselors that I work with work more on kind of the emotional control, which I feel like is very appropriate. So I think any any of those disciplines can work on it as long as they have the training and the knowledge behind it. But like I said, I, I think speech therapists, speech language pathologists are, are great providers to address executive function school skills for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. And, you know, I didn't even think about how our school counselors, they already work on some of those social emotional pieces. And some of that is learning how to regulate and, you know, regulate your emotions and inhibit them when it's appropriate. And I I didn't even think about collaborating with my school counselor on executive functioning skills. So that's exciting to think about how everyone can take their own little piece of the pie. Uh, Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. And we can all come together and, you know, the SLP can really share some, some valuable things on cognition and how the OT might see things differently. So I think that's a great That's a really great question, Raquel. And thank you so much for your answer, Dr. Gunn. No problem. 
All right. So we've talked about some really great resources. I also appreciated that you gave us Sarah Ward's website because it's free and school SLPs are always looking for th free things. So thank you for that. So we've talked about resources and the three things we need to know. What is one actionable strategy that we can start doing tomorrow? So I talked about, you know, we don't have to recreate the wheel. And I always think of when we're, we're, we're addressing executive function skills, what are we doing in our environment? So a lot of schools are just now starting school. I'm located in Georgia. Students started last week. Um, so look at your current workspace. Does your workspace promote executive function skills for your students in your room, whether it's a nice big therapy room or if you have like a little closet, <laughs> whatever uh, workspace you're working at, does it promote executive function skills, improvement or enhancing? Um, so there's things that, you know, we already have that we might not even be thinking about such as just having a, a visible clock or a calendar in your workspace. Because if you can point that clock and that calendar out to that student, then you're automatically working on time management. You could also start working on planning if you're looking at a calendar. You know, what is what are we going to work on next week? What did we work on last week? Um, do your sessions have structure? Is there a, a definite beginning, middle, end to your structure? I mean, I'm sorry, to your session. And does your student know that? Do your students know what to expect during their session? Um, I think even just reviewing with the students, this is what we're going to do today, and this is why we're doing it, also and helps enhance executive function skills um, in the areas of organization, time management, time estimation. And then also one of the big things that I realized when I first started working with executive function skills and students is a lot of my students didn't even know why they were coming to see me. <laughs> So do your students know why they're coming to your room for speech therapy? Do they know why it's important for them to come? And it doesn't have to be really formal or something that, you know, is going to make the student feel bad about coming to speech. But I think it's also as speech language pathologists, we also need to advocate for our students, but also teaching them to advocate for themselves is one of the things that I really work on with my older students. But I think if we do that as they're younger, then as they get older, they know how to advocate for themselves. And they know like, well, I am in speech because I'm doing X, Y, Z, and I can translate that to the classroom. I can translate that at home and I can communicate that to my teacher, to my friends, to my family. Awesome. Thank you. You know, and I love that you gave us some points that we might already be doing because that is just validating to what you know okay we are working on executive functioning we don't have to recreate the wheel like your earlier points but I really love that idea of you know it's very easy to work on time management with the visible clock and referring to that and especially the piece about structure to session and how important that is for our kids so thank you for for that and reviewing you know that that comes back to their their own self-monitoring and their advocacy, which I think is important. It's funny, it's only been the last two years I had the state standards up on the board, but I did them in like I can statements. And I had, I think I had about 12. And then each kid had like a little um, clothespin with their name on it. 
and they had to put their name next to the I can statement that was best related to, you know, their speech goal that they were working on. So I can speak clearly if it was an articulation kid or I can describe, I can tell a story if it, you know, was a language kid or something like that. So I'm grateful to know that I was working on executive functioning without knowing that I was working on executive functioning. Laura has a great question. Do you base your treatment goals on formal test results or do you do formal assessment of executive functioning with tests other than the brief? I typically refer out to neuropsych or psychologists for a diagnosis since there are so many areas of executive functioning to target. So it's tricky because I typically work mostly in private practice. So I typically get referrals from neuropsych and they come with their assessments. Now, if they come with me without an assessment, I still refer them to neuropsych to get tested. I do that for a couple of reasons. Most of the time it's because of insurance and families want to get reimbursed. So they do need some type of diagnosis. And we know I can't diagnose ADD, ADHD. Um, So once I do get those results, um, then I base my goals on the tests that the neuropsych provided to me. Now, if I'm doing my own testing, once again, it goes back to insurance. I do have to let the family know that they're not going to get reimbursed because we don't have a diagnosis. But I do typically do just a a battery of regular speech language tests and I add the brief on to it. Um, I do a lot of my goals based on family report and school report because I want to make sure that I'm making therapy as functional as possible. Um, And we know when we're setting goals, a lot of the times they don't translate sometimes into very functional things. So when I'm working with families, I let them know, you know, my students bring in their Chromebooks, they bring in their book bags, and we kind of go through their um, Google Classroom. You know, like that is a part of our therapy. That is a part of our session. Um, So I try to make everything as functional as possible. So my goals really reflect where they're having challenges. Um, So hopefully that answers that question. (laughs) And Laura, feel free to pop in with more follow-up questions or any comments that you might have so we can best meet your question. But that is a a great question. She says, thanks. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I think that that's a good thing for us to know. I know you're coming from the private practice side. So you know, it gets a little dicey for us to refer outside of the school system. Would you just uh, collaborate with maybe the school psychologist on some of those executive functioning things? Yeah, I would definitely collaborate with the school psychologist um, and trying to see if there's any way that they can get that student on their radar. So that way that they can filter into either sessions with you or just if they're just needing some extra um, strategies in the classroom. Awesome. Thank you. And, you know, as you were talking about just the things that we can do within our sessions, these are also great strategies for us to share with classroom teachers, but making sure that there's a working clock, you know, and calendar and reviewing what the day looks like and reviewing, you know, the structure to the day and why we're working 
you know, why we're learning what we're learning. I think that that is going to be really valuable for students. And for teachers, you know, I think I remember getting my, we call them agendas, those planners in fifth grade. And I remember our teacher just telling us exactly what to write, but we didn't necessarily understand why. And it was just the lessons of the day. And it wasn't until much later that I actually learned, oh no, you you can use this in other ways. I can use it to do my to-do list. I can use it to put in due dates for assignments, you know. And in fifth grade, we didn't necessarily have due dates for assignments that we were supposed to be responsible for. So I think that that is a really great point. You made that point way earlier in this episode, but that idea of teaching kids different ways to use their planner and not just the one way that the, we think that it should be used. Yeah. And, and I also will say a lot of the students that I work with now, even in fifth and sixth grade, they are getting really big projects. And some of the students are coming overwhelmed because they don't know where to start. And even if they have the planner, it's always a good place to start because I can break that help that student break down that assignment and say, okay, so the teacher wants this done, you know, a month from now, but what can we do to get it started? Or how can we break this down so that it's manageable and you're not waiting till three days before to work on this project because you've been so overwhelmed and you don't know how to get it started. So like I said, I love planners (laughs) um, and they're a good way to get a student started, but it's not, you know, just the one thing Um, And then even with planners, a lot of for my older students, a lot of the older students are really getting away from planners. They really like things that are electronic. You know, I usually don't suggest that they use their phone because it becomes a distraction, but a lot of them just use running to-do lists. And each day they kind of check off their running to-do list that's, you know, on their their Chromebook or something like that. So it's not a cookie cutter, one size fits all. And it's really just getting to know that student and know what works for best, what works best for them. Absolutely. You know, as you were talking about helping these fifth and sixth graders learn how to break things down, you had said earlier, you know, you don't grow out of executive functioning skills. And we all have those, those coworkers that we know, you know, who we don't want to be on team projects with because they're going to wait till the last minute. And what if it's because they just are so overwhelmed, they don't know where to start. Um, So what a valuable skill to be learning in elementary school that can carry them a long ways. Raquel has another question. Thank you, Raquel. How would you distinguish between executive function and ADHD? Would they need an official diagnosis or rule out from a psych? Or would you address similarly anyway? Um, So I wouldn't necessarily distinguish between the two because students that are diagnosed with ADD or ADHD have deficits in executive function skills. So there's not a either they have executive function deficits or they have ADHD. A lot of times they have ADD, ADHD and executive function deficits. There's also students that don't have a diagnosis of ADD or ADHD, but they just have executive function weaknesses. So there's just a weakness in some area. And I would still treat it either way. The only thing that I do with parents um, where a student does have ADD, ADHD, I do also ask them like what medications they're on and if they are taking any medications, because a lot of times 
Um, it doesn't change what I'm working on, but it does just give me additional information. Um, and it also kind of lets me know, like, if they're changing dosages or different medications to kind of know, like, okay, well, this is why this might, they might be struggling in this area right now. And it might not be an executive function deficit. It could just be, we're, we're changing medication. So, you know, my, my time management isn't that great or, you know, I just can't focus as much right now. And then in my area, they do, they do not need a, an official diagnosis um, because I'm in private practice. So I, I, I'm treating the, the strengths and the weaknesses. I'm not necessarily treating the actual diagnosis. Thank you for that. Jody Paul has, I think, a really great question and something that I've seen a lot from middle school and high school SLPs. I am an SLP who also works with middle and high school students on executive functioning. What do you do when you have students who really won't follow through with suggestions you come up with? I make sure to make these students be a part of the plan we come up with so that they can tell me if what I'm suggesting won't work, but then they often still don't follow through. What do you do in these cases? So one of the things that I do with a lot of my older students, when in our first session, I ask them what they're doing and we try what they're doing. Because, and I try that first because it gives me a little bit of buy-in. So I do ask them, you know, what do you have for homework this week? When are you going to do it? And then we follow up the next week and we see if they follow through with their plan. And I, and I listen to hear what they say. And then I start to develop a more collaborative plan saying, okay, well, this, this didn't quite work, but maybe we should try to write it down. <laughs> or maybe we should try to just kind of estimate how long it think, you think it's going to take to finish your biology work versus the 15 minutes and it actually took 45 minutes. Um, so I do kind of take a step back and I do try to kind of give them that carrot first and say, well, let's try it your way. <laughs> and then 10 times out of 10, <laughs> it their way usually does not work the first time. And then I slowly try to give them strategies. Now, if it's still not following through and I've gone through a list of strategies with the student, then we, we definitely have to have a conversation because there's a breakdown somewhere and we need to figure out where that breakdown is. Because is the breakdown because, you know, you, you just don't want to follow through with what I'm saying or is there a breakdown because maybe it's still too overwhelming for you? I had a student that was pretty much failing a lot of their classes and they were so overwhelmed. Any strategy I gave was not helping. It was because the, the, their mental capacity or their bandwidth at that time, there was no room for any strategies. So we had to even step back even further. So I think it, it really depends on the situation with the student because each student is different. A lot of times I did have one student as well where they weren't following through and I actually referred them out and they, they had pretty severe anxiety too. So, you know, that, that was a, a reason why they weren't being able to follow through because their anxiety was so high. So once they got the anxiety under control, we were able to follow through with a lot of the strategies and they, they did really well. Awesome. Thank you for those examples. I think that that's really important to remember that it's not one size fits all. And each kid has 
their own worlds that are happening. And especially those two different stories. I mean, both of them were overwhelmed, but you met them where they were at in two different ways. So I really appreciate those stories. Do you feel like it's okay to suggest psych therapy? Yeah. I mean, because we want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can for that student. Um, And the other thing is, you know, you might not be able to students to see it, but that student is struggling in some way. So I think we kind of do ourselves a disservice sometimes when when we wait to make some of those referrals, because if we make the referral early on, then the student makes so much more progress and then it helps the student as well. I refer out all the time. I love collaborating. And if there's anyone else I can bring on the team to help um, and it's going to help the student, then why not? Are you taking advantage of the certificate tracker? Not only does it store your certificates from all of your evidence-based and practical courses from speechtherapypd.com, but you can also upload certificates earned from other CE providers. It's the easiest way to store and keep track of your CEUs. Just another perk of membership. Fabulous. I love that that mindset. Carol shares, I appreciate your comment about addressing the workspace in support of executive function. I work at a high school and we got all of the teachers on campus to write their classes homework on the same side of the dry erase boards, the top left. Students could photo, write in planners or class notebook, whatever the student chose to follow through. That's awesome. So what got you interested in executive functioning? Because like you said, you know, it wasn't really something we talked about five years ago or even 10 years ago. So most of my career, I worked in um, traumatic brain injury. So I I already knew about executive function skills and I worked in an environment where we did community reentry. So I started off in a post-acute where we took our clients out into the community. So we did executive function school skills all the time. We did cooking groups, we did shopping, outings. So I already kind of knew about executive function skills in the adult realm. And as I was starting my doctorate program, I started just kind of doing a little bit more research and started um, kind of dabbling and working with students and doing some training. And then it kind of just started from there. I've always loved very functional therapy. So it was a very easy transition for me because everything that I'm doing with my students is is still functional. Um, So it it was kind of just a, I fell into it, but already had my toes in there. (laughs) I love that. That's so awesome. And then how did you end up working with adolescents? What was the draw to end up here? I mean, this is so so valuable. I know we have a lot of listeners that work with high school and junior high students, and they're just desperate for anything because most content is for those elementary and preschoolers. So how did you end up with adolescents when the rest of us are scared to death of them? (laughs) I think it was because there are a lot of people that weren't working with adolescents, and I've always kind of wanted a challenge. I mean, I've worked with My first job, I worked in brain injury, but brain injury that had severe behaviors. So working with a middle schooler or a high schooler after that was like a piece of cake. (laughs) That definitely makes sense. You know, that transition is a little bit easier than working with some really sweet little preschoolers up to these middle schoolers who don't care, you know? Right, 
Right, right, right. So I can definitely see how that transition would be a really fun one to go from working on the executive function with traumatic brain injury and no filters to high school and middle schoolers with no filters. So, right. Yeah. And I mean, in the beginning, I did get my feelings hurt a couple of times from my high schoolers, but it's it's all fun and I, I really do enjoy it. I love middle school, high school, and I also work with college students too. So I just really enjoy that population. Yeah. And what you're doing is so powerful to help them be successful in the world and be successful in whether they choose school or careers or it's it's a really exciting and very life-giving field to be a part of, to be a part of that, that see that light bulb come alive for them, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely very satisfying. I, I have to say this one story about one of my students that I have worked with. I started working with this student in ninth grade and severe ADD and anxiety. And we were working on talking about making it functional. We were working on just writing a couple of sentences for a paragraph and she would break down just doing that. And school work was always late, severe anxiety on tests. And our, me, her and her parents were very, very concerned about how she was going to do in high school. but. We all stuck to it. We were all committed. She graduated high school and she is on to her first semester at college out of state away from her parents. And I reached out to her parents to see, you know, if she needed anything. And they were like, no, I think she's okay." So, you know, it it, it really is something that I really love to do to know that, you know, we, we started here and now you're going off to college and you don't need you don't need me anymore. <laughs> right, right. It's that like it's it's the purpose of our jobs is to work ourselves out of a job, but that's that's like heartbreaking and heartwarming all at the same right. time. Right, right. Yeah. And I told her parents, I was like, well, I'm still gonna check in, you know, just just to make sure everything's okay. But I'm glad that they don't need me anymore. Yeah, that is so awesome. Do you usually see measurable gains in specific executive functioning abilities? For example, improved working memory, improved divided attention skills, or are you finding that you mainly provide compensatory strategies? Yeah, so this is another one. It really depends on this on the student. So on the student that I just talked about, there were definitely measurable gains in executive function abilities in time management. She was able to, you know, manage assignments on her own, get her homework done on her own. She was able to hold information that the teacher was giving her to complete an assignment. And that was something that she was not able to do. Just, you know, listening to the teacher provide instructions was really hard for her. So all of the, the, the things that we did in therapy we did a lot of compensatory strategies, but in this case, she, she also made improvements in executive function skills using some of those strategies. For some students, it is just, I'm just providing strategies for them, especially when we're talking about working memory and attention. Um, those are things that a lot of people have varying thoughts on, like, are we really improving working memory? Are we really improving attention? So it, it kind of just depends for the student. I love to work on strategies. External strategies are kind of where I start with, and then we move our way to work on those internal strategies as we do with a, a lot of the concepts that we work with. Thank you for breaking that down a little bit. Can you give a couple of examples of what external strategies are versus internal strategies? 
So external strategies, starting off with just thinking of organization and prioritizing assignments and planning. So I, I use the planner example a lot because that's what a lot of people are familiar with. So one of the things that we use the planner for is not just to write down assignments, but I also have them use it to write down how long they think it's going to take to complete assignments. Because what I notice is a lot of students are running out of time and it's because they're not allocating enough time to do assignments. So one of the things that we start off with is we actually write down for each assignment, how long do you think it's going to take? And then the second part is how long did it actually take? So that's a very external thing that we work on. As the student gets to know more about you know, how they work and being able to um, organize themselves more, then they don't necessarily need to write down, you know, how long it takes to do an assignment. They kind of already know, okay, I have 10 pages to read for this assignment, but I also have to answer these questions. So I know from previous experience, it's probably going to take me about 30 to 45 minutes. But I also know that I have another assignment that I know is going to take an hour. And because we've discussed this, each student is different. Some people say do the, the longer assignments or the harder assignments first. Some people do simple things first. But as they kind of get to learn these skills, then they can do that on their own. They can figure out, I work best if I do the simple, easy things first. And that way I can focus on the longer, challenging things. And I know what those longer, challenging things are now. Because a lot of times they just see assignments and they don't really think about what's really included and what it takes to actually complete that assignment. Thank you for that. And for those examples, for those that are still learning about what executive functioning treatment and strategies look like. And thank you for your stories. You know, I really love that story of the girl starting as a ninth grader, and now she is so successful as a college student and hopefully continues to be successful in that way. Your stories have definitely helped help me and my understanding of executive functioning skills, you know, sharing about the student who really had severe anxiety and referring out was really helpful. So I, the question that I was thinking of is, and as you were talking, it, my question ended up morphing. So I was thinking, oh man, as I'm thinking about, so I was on the year after our hard shutdown, the district I was in, they put me on assessment team to clean up assessments. And it was my first time working with high school students. And I was looking at those high school caseloads. And the majority of the students that were on those caseloads were in SDC classrooms and maybe students that don't quite fit the profile that you're talking about, you know? And so I was thinking, well, but these students need our help too. Maybe we would go look. But then I had another thought about it where I thought, and the district that I was in, there was a very big push in sixth and seventh grade to exit students. You know, that was a really big push. And maybe if we started thinking about executive functioning skills and what their true functioning levels were and how to meet those skills, you know, we can start talking about that in fourth grade and looking at those things. And then maybe we would have some of those executive functioning skills kids on our caseloads, you know, at the ninth, 10th, and 11th grade levels. And of course, this particular question that I had is more 
maybe more streamlined to the particular district that I was in at the time. But what are your thoughts as far as when's the best time to catch these kids, I guess? <sighs> as early as possible, to be honest. I, I think the good thing that I see a lot of school districts are doing now is they're not just waiting to middle school to start introducing like a planner or to start writing things on the board of this is the schedule for the day. They're actually doing it a lot younger. I, I did have one elementary student that, that had an agenda and they were able to explain to me why they had it and why they needed to use it. They still had you know issues with time management and things like that. But that was like one of the first times I had seen that before. And I was like, wow, like she, this student is ahead of the curve because, you know, her school thought enough to say, you know, this is something that we need to start introducing early versus later. But it doesn't mean, you know, if they don't introduce it to high school that, you know, they're not going to be able to make any gains or to make any improvements. Sometimes even with my high school students, sometimes I see the quick improvements because they're at a point where they're like, this is not working and I need help, <laughs> you know? So they, they want to do what they can. And then they're also old enough to say like, I don't want to come see you every week. So I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure that I don't have to come back. So, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, but the earliest that you can, I think is, is, is the best for, for the students. Awesome. What are some examples of maybe what these students might look like that we wouldn't necessarily think of? What are some things that we could have on our radar as we are looking at our caseloads of maybe some of those upper elementary students or even middle school or high school students? So one of the kind of telltale signs and something that I always ask parents when they first come in is I ask them, what does your book bag look like? <laughs> Because a lot of times these students' book bags look like something exploded inside of them because they can't keep things organized or, you know, just asking around, like, does this student have difficulty turning things in on time? Because a lot of times they, they kind of get labeled as, you know, they're lazy or it, they don't think that it's important when really there's something else going on. It's not that they're they're trying, they're purposely trying to not turn things in on time. They don't have the skills to kind of get it organized. You know, just in general, are they keeping track of their belongings? Are they always forgetting things? Most schools, you know, assign Chromebooks now. Is that the student that always leaves a Chromebook at home? Or is it the student that never has their charger or it's never charged or ready for class? Just some of those things. Another thing would be students that can't really control their behaviors in class sometimes, like they can't inhibit themselves. Sometimes I see that that's one of the indicators there that there's something else going on. And it could be, you know, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm just going to do what I what I want right now because I can't figure out how to do what the teacher is asking me to do. Awesome. Thank you for those examples, because as you were talking, I'm starting to think of kids that I'm seeing where I'm like, oh, that's a great question to ask the teacher or to ask the parent. So thank you for that. Raquel has a great comment. I've always been aware of some of the things you've addressed, but you really honed in on specifics that are so helpful for me to address different areas. I wouldn't have even thought were part of my role as an SLP. Thank you so much. That is fantastic. And that's why we do these, you know, continuing education units, because so much has changed for a lot of us that 
Some of us have been in grad school a lot longer than others, but um, thank you so much, Dr. Gunn, for joining us today. How do you feel that your strengths as an SLP give you an advantage over other professionals who are also marketing themselves as executive functioning coaches, whether it's educational therapists, psychologists, or even tutors? So I think the big thing, and it's something that sometimes as SLPs, we tend to not necessarily want to address is that we have knowledge about cognition and we know that executive function skills are really higher level cognitive skills. The planning organization, those are things that we know about that are related to executive function skills. Also language. One of the things that I do work on with a lot of my students is sometimes we work a lot on writing because a lot of my students have difficulty with like thought organization not just organizing materials, but they have difficulty organizing their thoughts too. So myself having the background that I have, I can address those skills. I can help them with their writing. And a lot of times we do work on, sometimes we take a whole session just to work on writing a paragraph, writing an essay. And I know that they need to break it down. I know that they need the assistance in in formulating their thoughts which an OT might not be able to do, or, you know, someone that just calls himself an executive coach. You know, they don't have that background knowledge that we have about language and about cognition that helps tie in um, all the executive function skills. Thank you. And I 100% agree with you. You know, the more that you talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, that's right. You know, we really are the jack of all trades in a sense, which can be frustrating and wonderful all at the same time. Um, So that is that. Yeah. Thank you for breaking that down for us. So as we close up here, can you recap your three points, uh, your two resources and your one actionable strategy for us? Sure. So three things, Um, executive function skills can be addressed at any age, not just middle or high school. And it's also not late to start too late to start in high school. Um, The big thing, providing a planner and agenda to a student does not encompass all executive function skills or challenges, but it is a good place to start. Um, Executive function skills are not concrete, just like language. It develops and grows as a child ages. Um, two resources that I recommend, uh, the brief assessment, the brief uh, rating inventory for executive function as you know, something that you can add on to the assessment materials that you already have. And then just taking another course um, or additional training in executive function skills, um, Sarah Ward, Peggy, Peg Dawson, which I want to mention, she wrote the book Smart and Scattered Kids, which is a really good book um, that is a good intro to executive function skills. So smart and scattered kids, smart and scattered teenage teenagers. Um, one actionable strategy, uh, since it's the beginning of the school year for a lot of people, an easy way to just think about executive function skills is, you know, what does your current workspace look like? Are you, do you have a workspace that's really enhancing executive function skills or improving executive function skills in your workplace? So things that we already have, like a clock or a calendar, you know, do your sessions have structure? Um, do your students know what to expect? Um, and do your students know why they're actually seeing you? Um, is one good uh, actual strategy is thinking about your workspace. 
Dr. Gunn, thank you so much for joining us for this hour and just enlightening us and inspiring us, you know, to, to work on executive functioning with the kids that we already have. It's something that we can do. And I just really appreciate uh, the, the resources that you sent us or that you gave us, you know, checking out Sarah Ward. What is a way that if we want to learn more and we really appreciate your teaching style, what are some ways that we can get in contact with you or maybe follow what you're doing? So I actually do have an Instagram page, but it is not really active right now. So I am working on that. <laughs> um, but actually, probably the best way, um, I'm sorry, it's Peg Dawson. Peg Dawson and Sarah Ward. The best way is I will actually start sending out kind of regular information. Um, so the best way to contact me is through my email. Um, so the email is angelica.gun at executive function SLP. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for offering your, your email to all of us. Um, sure. And being available to our questions. All right, everyone. Thank you so much again, Dr. Gunn, for joining us and enlightening us and inspiring us to help our students reach new levels um, and just being able to function at, at a, a great level and helping them succeed. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. We will see you back here next week. Have a great week. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Bye. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Bye.